If you want to take your kettlebell coaching career to the next level, consider getting certified with Libestock. Check the first link in the description. Ladies and gentlemen, we have another great episode of the Kettle Knights podcast. I have with me Steve Gordon from Tunova Kettlebell Training, hailing from the northeast of England. Welcome to the podcast, Steve. Cheers, man. Much appreciated. Uh, yeah, cheers for having us on. Oh, you're welcome, man. We got connected through Instagram first, right? And then uh, I started following your content. And while I was browsing through your stuff, I immediately learned a lot of cues, a lot of uh, important aspects about kettlebell training that I didn't think about, which I now implement in my coaching practice as well, teaching it to our clients, which is so fascinating. That's why I wanted to talk to you and really pick your brain about the uh, the, the sport lifts, of course, and then we're going to have a little bit of a technical discussion and break the lifts down if, um, if, if you're down for it. But before we want to get started, please give us your background. How did you get started with kettlebells? and all the good stuff yeah man so uh do you know every time i do this it makes me feel even older than i am which is always a worrying thing you know but this this i've been lifting now i think um i went back to an old program which was 10 years old with from from when i went to russia to train out there but it started Mm -hmm. a little bit around there about 2012 and uh yeah i was kind of getting into a situation where I was doing Thai boxing, I was doing Muay Thai, and obviously you need to dedicate a lot of time to that fighting skills. And mm-hmm. and then I became a PT. And as a lot of coaches out there know that um, as soon as you become a PT, you have no private life because you either train people first thing in the morning or late in the evening. So, mm-hmm. and I, I really struggled going to the gym just to, just to train. I need something to work towards. And I ended up jumping on CPDs and stuff as part of my education. I ended up going on a, on a kettlebell course, kettlebell fitness course. And that'd be pretty cool to learn this. And this guy was like, Oh, there's actually a sport side of it. And I'm like, yeah, you just lift 16s for, for 10 minutes. See how many reps you can do. And I'm like, man, that's easy. That's easy. (laughs) Went into the gym on the Monday after that was like, (laughs) this is not easy. What the hell is going on? No, it's on not. Here? No, it's not. Yes, yeah, I thought not. the same. I thought the same thing. By the way, first when <laughs> when when I uh, had to I had to prepare for Steve Carter's IKFF certification test. And I was like, oh, that looks easy. And then I picked up the twenties, and I was like, oh, oh, against time. Okay, no. Yeah, <laughs> but man, please and, keep and going, man. Keep I, going. I, may, I, I learned how to time travel in terms of time stood still when you start lifting kettlebells for time. So. Uh, yeah, man. And then all, all of a sudden, I was just like, I was hooked. And I'm like, how do you get better at this? I mean, like, come on. And I couldn't find any information. And luckily, uh, Sergei Ruchinsky and Sergei Rudinev, two legends of the sport, were coming over to the UK in London to do a workshop. And at the time, man, like there's been broke and then there's been ultra broke. So I was in the ultra broke category. So I'm like, how the hell am I going to find this money to do this? Oh, my. Yeah. Scrimped and scraped. Got myself down to London, and that was a that was a fu- like a funny thing. Anybody from the north of England, you ask them about London, and probably ninety five percent of the people are going to hate it. And the reason mm. being is because London is a hundred mile an hour. It's not the same as any other city in the UK, right? Okay. So I went there. I'm like, I, I don't like this place. I hate this place. I got lost. Every because everybody like I'm in a town where you can get from one side of the town to the other in twenty minutes. You go mm-hmm. to London. It's a ma- massive place. So yeah. I got lost yeah. in the, 
I couldn't find my place at the venue, so I ended up jumping in some random van from some Lithuanian window cleaners. True story. It's like, mate, I need to get to this place. And I'm like, oh, cool, jump in. And I'm like... Lithuanian I'm window bugged. cleaners. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, mate, it all happens. I got to go down there. <laughs> it happens with yeah. all... Like, in London, anything happens, right? Okay. So there's, there's, it sounds like a really bad joke. So there's two Lithuanians and an Englishman sat in the front of the van. Sounds like a really bad joke. Yes. They take me to where I'm meant to be. I finally right. get to the venue. I've turned up late anyway, but I knew a guy there, Mark Mark Stroud, who is a great guy. He's he's somebody who was a big pivotal part of the pushing the kettlebell sports scene back in the day. Max and, Max Stroud is his name. Uh, Mark Mark Stroud. Yeah, he's Mark from, Stroud. He's, yeah. yeah, he's from from down Brighton. Um, so yeah, and I got stuck in, and I'm like. Man, I love this sport. This is everything. It's strength, mobility, mental discipline mm -hmm. wrapped into this little steel metal mm -hmm. ball with a handle on. And mm -hmm. from there, I was like, I went over to Sergei Ryczynski. And anybody who knows Sergei knows that he does not really speak a lick of English. So, like, he was tired. He'd just been demonstrated, uh, like a 10-minute long cycle with the 28s. And I went over to him and said... Can you coach me? You know, I'd love to just come over to to, to Russia and work with you. So then we got uh, somebody over, uh, Alexander Kassin, who's who's sadly no longer with us, uh, rest in peace. And he translated and he's like, you're welcome to my gym anytime. Mm. So in the space, of, and this happens within the space of like nine months. So from nine months of playing about with the sport on this course, self-learning, working with Mark, who was writing me some sets and some programs to follow and say, here's to do it, jump on this, jump on that. Mm -hmm. Within nine months, I was in St. Petersburg, two weeks training by myself. And that's where I met Dennis Vasiliev, uh, Alexander Kostov, uh, mm. all these like oh, Alexander these Vasiliev, weights, man, but, yeah, yeah. man all, all these guys. And I'm yeah. like, man, you know, um, and then I, from there, it was just like an accelerated journey of, jumping onto the kettlebell treadmill of like passion, love, discipline, all of the love that comes with kettlebell sport. And, and I've been hooked ever since, man, you know, and yeah, and that's, that's around about how I got into the sport, but it came from a, 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 a need of wanting to better myself for, mm. from some physical art form. And I could no longer train Muay Thai. I could never train for a fight. Uh, and that, that really sucked for me. Um, mm. because mm. my Muay Thai coach was the reason I am coaching today. He had an impact on my life and I wanted to do that for other people. But ultimately I couldn't dedicate the time I wanted to the sport and Ketapel really filled that, that void for me. And yeah, I've been onto the, the, the ride ever since and just learning and trying to explore and competing and the highs and lows of Ketapels has, has dictated me all the way through the life so far, you know? Mm. So you were actually a martial artist and through the need of wanting to better your physical performance, you've discovered kettlebells. So actually a story that I've heard multiple times, not only on the podcast, but just all around the world. So my question, and I ask this every time, so I'm really looking forward to your answer and your take on this. Why do you think martial artists tend to gravitate towards the kettlebell? I think there's, there's multiple reasons. In martial arts, I think... Ultimately, the guys are never always, they're never scared to be the, the worst person in the room. You know, I, I think any true martial artist is never afraid to be the worst one in the room because when you're the worst in the room, you have an opportunity to grow and learn. 
Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. And two, and it's like, there's always a way of being better. Now, nothing will get you more motivated to train than knowing that somebody's going to be punching you in the face and trying to kick the living daylights out of you. Nothing will more. So if you know I can do some form of training that's going to make me more powerful, explosive, et cetera, et cetera, and it's very, very simple and straightforward, that's why martial arts t- typically jump because it ticks the boxes for a lot of it. What I don't need to do, I don't need to go to a busy gym. I can do all of my grip training. I can do all of my explosive tr- training. I can do some great metabolic conditioning circuits with it. It's easy, accessible. Mm. I'm all in. And it's not going to mm. detract too much away from my from my martial arts training, right? So I think that's what that's one part of it, the physical side of it, but also the mental side of it is like this this iron ball wants to like break my soul and I'm not going to exactly. let it win. Exactly. And I think that, that so there's a psychological part and there's the, the physical part, in, in my opinion. And I think that's why a lot of guys like it, you know? That's actually a great explanation that I've uh, never heard before explained like this, which makes a lot of sense. And that's one of the reasons why I think the kettlebell is one of the most versatile tools ever even in comparison to dumbbells and barbells which which i enjoy as well but from a standpoint of being able to use one tool that touches all bases of human performance at once in the same session i think nothing comes close uh, comes close to kettlebells yeah man and, and, and i think it's always interesting because my like my snc background and working with athletes and stuff like mm-hmm. that all of my athletes are always going to say oh you're just going to be using kettlebells and sometimes there's a time and a place for everything right it, yeah. the kettlebell is the tool and it's it's a great tool and it can tick a lot of boxes but there'll be some times when i'm saying do you know what it's not the right tool for this job so exactly. don't worry about it you know exactly but i think in terms of when you've got somebody who's a specialist like in MMA, you know, kickboxing, tie boxing, BJJ, all of that sort of stuff. Their main goal is to supplement their sport. They're not really bothered about getting in the better in the gym as such. They just want to know they can do the sport they love at a higher level. Mm-hmm. And the fact that their training age in terms of strength and power training is relatively low, that's when they can get a lot of wins with using kettlebell training because again the versatility and stuff like that mm-hmm. when you get more experienced athletes that's when you start to struggle a little bit and you start to change things up a little bit as well but again with martial arts i say their goal and i i use their snc training is like it's like a supplement it's like a it's like taking a protein shake if you if you add a protein shake to a rubbish diet you're not going to get much of the benefits out of it you know Mm-hmm. it's just like doing all of these types of training but it's going to take away from your sport it's going to be useless useless the mm-hmm. snc should supplement the sports training and i think that's where mm-hmm. kettlebell training comes in so well because it supplements it. you can do two sessions a week you're still going to get your rolls in you're still going to get your yep. sparring rounds in without feeling like you've just been put through the windmill you know, it's all mm-hmm. of these types of things. So and I think that's where it, it ticks the boxes for quite a lot of people a lot of the time, you know. Awesome. And I think the same applies for just regular people because this is our client base that we are focusing our training on. We just train with regular people who uh, want to get rid of their back pain, want to get in shape and all that. And most of them fall in love with kettlebells. And what, what, what I see, and I agree 100%, it's 
it is a great tool, but in certain cases, you have to use different tools. And you mentioned especially high-level or high-performance athletes or elite athletes. If you want to train these guys, you have to use some a, a complex system with different tools in order to elevate their sports performance this is this is mm. this is something that i've learned just recently by uh, reading a lot of books and uh, learning a lot of stuff from dr michael yeses and dr yuri verkhoshansky from these heavyweights from this uh, soviet uh, the ex-soviet sports scientists and and this that's one thing but at the same time with just regular people since it ticks so many boxes is what i tell sometimes or many times all the time i tell this client it's like listen it's not the it's not the typical get on the treadmill do your strength machines and then get back on the treadmill spend one hour and waste 30 minutes of it in our case it's you pick up one tool and it does everything all at once mm -hmm. in a very short time frame so this is where i also see a lot of application but most definitely it's not the the go-to tool for everything mm. But the way you explained it with the martial artists, man, this is this is fascinating. So, and and you were fighting back then, also. Yeah, yeah, not 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 massively high level. I was getting into it. I loved it. And there's a bit of a break. I I got into Thai boxing. Uh, I was going nowhere in life really. I was kind mm. of living for the weekend and working in a bit of a, a dead end job. And then uh, some guy there was like, "Come join Thai boxing," and I was like, "Yeah, man." I, and it's the the I remember the day like where I used to train, like. It was so cold. It was like a, a like a rundown shed. Like literally, guys would warm up in their socks. It was that cold wow. there and stuff. But I walked in and the smell of the tie oil, the welcoming that I got off the coach stays with me forever. I get goosebumps just telling this story. Mm. Right, the 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 feeling of love and support and everything that comes from a really solid martial arts school. Mm. Uh, I got that in the space of five ten minutes, and I was like wow, I want to bottle this feeling because mm. this is something I've never really felt before. You know, this was belonging to something, but mm. I was a complete stranger to everybody in the room. It was bizarre. It was really strange. And I, that comes from the, that comes from the Thai coach. And like, I owe so much to this guy. And unfortunately I kept on doing stuff that I shouldn't have been doing. And, and it ended up having a bit of a, a, a hiatus from life. Let's say um, the, the powers to be sent me away for a good few months. So that disrupted everything. And then within that time, I did more fitness training and everything else like that. And I came back out and it was only on reflection and stuff like that. I was like, I need to become like this, the, my, my Thai coach at the mo at this moment, because he has such a powerful impact on people's lives that I want to be that person. If I can be that person that, if somebody comes to me with an issue, a problem, whether that be a fitness problem or a life problem, I can there and just try and support them in some form or another. And, you know, and that's what I've tried to embody and I've never got it right. And I'll never be as good as what my old tie, my tie boxing coach was, but I, that was like standing on the shoulders of giants moments for me. Do you know, if I can just emulate and become the leader that he was to me, I'm, I'm on the right path, you know? And, uh, yeah and my use my tool is kettlebell training and you know coaching the guys that i do in the team at tune and all around the world now i'm blessed to have athletes everywhere around the world which is great and uh yeah it's just that message of let's just try and be try and be better and we're going to use sport but 
along the way we're going to have some important conversations and we're going to yeah. take the lessons that sport gives us you know yeah and i think you're just uh one of the most important parts is just trying to strive towards this goal right that you are that your master or your sensei has mm. set and and while you might be never be able to reach it the way he did it you will reach it probably in a some form shape or form that you're only capable of and then the next guy standing next to you will be like man i want to be like steve man mm. he he's the man so i i, I love this this description this uh standing on a soul, shoulder of giants this is exactly what it is man it's yeah i told you before we got started how i'm learning so much through this podcast and having conversations i mean this is the 51st conversation that i'm having with kettlebell minds from all around the world and it just takes me it takes me places that I couldn't go myself and it teaches me stuff that books can't teach, right? It, it's mm -hmm. something that is so fascinating. And you've mentioned something that really uh, struck a chord with me. This not being scared to be the worst in the room. Mm. So essentially, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that means not being scared to get criticized, right? Yeah, the thing is, like, I, I and I think this, it's growth doesn't happen in comfort zones, right? If you mm -hmm. are the strongest person in the room, if you are the fastest person in the room, or whatever it may be, it's everything's going to come that little bit easier to you, right? Mm -hmm. But think about it. when you go through life as a kid, if you go through puberty and you have the growth spurt, and this kid's just <laughs> naturally good at everything. Who is the guy that you are scared of on the pitch? You are not scared of the biggest guy. You are scared of the smallest guy who is a slower developer that is fighting tooth and nail to get ahead. And you watch that guy and you go, watch out for that guy in two years' time because he mm. knows how to fight. He knows how to fight his way forward. He's competing mm. higher than his level. And when he gets there, he's going to be still standing. And I think when you get yourself in a position where you are sometimes the not the best in the room, you are learning because you have to fight up. You have to learn. You have to adapt. You know, like this is why I go and do MMA sparring on Mon uh, on Fridays and Saturdays. It's not necessarily a training effect. It's the fact that I don't train MMA full time, but I'm learning by people just slamming me on the head and punching me in the face and, you know, putting me in all sorts of positions. I'm like, but this is what I want because I'm going to learn about myself. How do you handle adversity? How do you handle not being able to just use your strength in a way that you've normally been able to use it? You know, and then when you're under these times of stress, we always say you sink to the level of your training. In times of stress, you sink to the level of your training. And kettlebell sport highlights that, martial arts highlight that, but it's in life, isn't it? If, in, if you put yourself in a, a position in training and physical fitness where you're going to get yourself really tired and you're going to find your level of training and you've got a choice. You can either keep going forward or you put the bells down, you know, for using kettlebells is that analogy. Mm -hmm. If life keeps on chucking hard adversity to you, what are you going to do? Are you going to turn and run and give up? Or are you going to keep fighting? And you're going to find a way to overcome it. If you know that actually I can control my mind, control the way I'm speaking to myself and I'll find a solution to the problems that are in front of me, and this is the training I've got from my physical training in the gym, I'm going to be able to handle what comes my way. And I think 
and life will always chuck crap your way it, it, it comes it happens it happens all the time so knowing that i want to be the worst in the room because if i'm the worst in the room i know that i'm going to be challenged and i'm going to have to get conditioned to fighting and conditioned to leveling up all the time and again that's the beauty of kettlebell training because you learn that you go from that you do a five six seven ten minute set at the beginning first two minutes this is easy this is straightforward four minutes the brain's gone man this is getting quite hard the Mm -hmm. pressure on your forearms you know Mm -hmm. maybe we should stop now you know and you're like (laughs) maybe we should stop now (laughs) i'm not gonna keep going i'm gonna keep going the brain's Uh. not now i'm really tired now i'm really tired the heart rate's going up the the stress muscles the traps the forearms the lower back starts to tighten up you start to lose your form a little bit. Now you should stop. You should stop. No, no, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. Mm. And then you get to seven minutes. And this is the hardest minute of all because you're like, there's still three minutes left. How am I mm. going to overcome it? You just do one rep at a time. Just like in life, you put one foot in front of the other. When times are hard, you just got to keep moving forward. And then it's the same. And then all of a sudden it gets to eight minutes, eight minutes, 15. There's less than two minutes left. Like Eric Thomas says, you're already in pain, get a reward from it now. Mm. And then it breaks that ninth minute and you're going to go, I've got 60 seconds to give it all I've got. 60 seconds and then you're done. You can rest. Mm. Then you've got the the room cheering you on, shouting you, and you're going, come on, let's go. And that's when you start to reap the reward of all of the hard work, the training you've done in the gym. But to get to that point, you've had to go from minute five, six, seven where the brain is going just stop give up this is hard too hard you can't keep going you're not going to hit your sets you're not good enough for this you shouldn't be here you're a fraud exactly that's my inner self-talk i can't speak Mm -hmm. for everyone else Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. i train that on a regular basis so when crap comes my way and life Mm. likes to do that Mm. what am i doing i'm in a better position i know i can handle whatever comes my way Mm. you know what's fascinating is that uh even though i don't compete i love I just love the three lifts because I got uh, taught by Steve Carter, who I consider a hybrid, who Mm -hmm. does heart style stuff and sports stuff. This is how I got into kettlebells in a a truest sense. And while I don't compete and stand on platforms, I still use these lifts and also do some particular 10 minute sets. But just recently we did a a, a small biathlon, five minutes of jerks and then uh, some snatches. And the funny thing is this feeling or this these voices and the feedback from your body that it's like, oh my God, this is too tough, mm. comes pretty early, at least in my case. And what's funny is, is that I'm starting to ask myself, I'm like, really, I, I can't do this? Man, I've, I've been doing so many jerks in my life now. Come on, this should be, I should be able to do it. But still the, the, the feedback comes from the body which is so interesting, right? You get the feedback that, that something's off mm-hmm. and you still have to push through. Doesn't matter how much, it doesn't, probably doesn't even matter what, what weight you're choosing, right? I mean, if, if you're using double 20s and you go up to, to a higher amount of, of, of time, doesn't matter. It's just that the feedback com- is, is still coming. And this is something that really amazed me. I was like, how, why? Because I'm actually thinking at least that I'm getting a hang of this now. But as soon as you get down with these weights that challenge you to a certain extent and you go up to these five minutes, at least that was the, bi- the, the biathlon that I did, it was like, oh my God, I still get that feeling. So what I learned or what I learned in these situations is 
what you're saying. Life hand, hands you that stuff and your body will always look for the easy way out to a certain extent, right? So you are required to push through. And it's, I think it's easier if you know it from the start that it's going to be a hard journey, which is probably the same thing when you open up your gym or you, you, you mm -hmm. decide that let's become, let's do this. I'm doing this on my own. I'm self-employed. I run a gym. I have costs. I have, I have to make profit because hey, I have to put food on the table. As much as I love kettlebells, I have to eat at the end of the month, right? Mm -hmm. and, and all that stuff comes up in, in, in our case as well. And I think you and I, we can both pat ourselves on the back and wear a badge of honor because we both survived the pandemic, which is... Mm -hmm which is big, big time, right? For yeah, so yeah. many, so many folks in the fitness industry. Yeah. They, yeah. The, 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 the tree got pruned, right? Mm. In, in a pretty hard way. So everybody who now survived in the fitness business, especially those who are s smaller ones, the smaller businesses, I, I salute them because it was such a hard road, but it's the same. I, I experienced the same situation in that case. I was like, when I opened my gym and I like to get your uh, story as well. When I opened my gym, the first four years were awesome. They were, clients were like rolling in and mm. word of mouth spread and we got great transformations. We did good stuff. We were the only personal trainer in town in a very small town. Mm. So you said 20 minutes, in our case, it's five minutes, right? So it's a very small town to get from one end to the other. But I always knew in the back of my mind, I was like, bad times will come. So you might as well prepare for those. And I love this saying that says, Civis pace in parabellum, that says, if you want peace, prepare for war. Mm. So how was your story when you opened up your gym? Yeah, so I, I was working out of like a, a local gym in the town and I, I kind of like, I, I knew I just wanted my own space. I knew I wanted it. And I opened up above a, a, a disused pub I took their old, like, so a bar, I took their function room where they would hire it out for gigs and parties and weddings and stuff like that. And I, I took that over. I opened with, I think I had um, eight mats, which were six by four mats. I opened with um, two 12s, two 16s, two 20s, two 24s. Um, and I had a couple of sandbags and a couple of medals balls and that was it. And man, I had, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. you know? I was just like, that's passion got me by in those early stages, you know? And I think that's what got people, got people to the gym. You know, they just knew yeah. that I just wanted, I cared. And I, I'm, mm. I was, I was making a difference. And ultimately it's, it's just ever, it's been there ever since, you know, it's just constantly building and just growing and growing and growing. And it's always been on, on my passion and just wanting to help people. And that's always shone through, hopefully for a lot of people. And again, I've made mistakes over the, over the years, as we all do, as we, mm -hmm. as we grow and we learn, you know, and it's had very many iterations, but one thing that stood the test of time, and that has been the kettlebell sports side of the, the, the gym, you know, I've mm -hmm. had transformation programs, early mm -hmm. morning programs, small group trainings, et cetera, et cetera. But the one thing that's remained a constant has been the kettlebell training. And why is that? It's because, because of my passion. 
You know, it, it, it takes no different. Like if you, I start talking about kettlebells now, I'm talking faster. My heart rate goes up. I'm smiling. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm pumped. I'm ready. Let's go. Mm. And and but that's never left me ever since I found the passion and the love for kettlebell sport. It's it's always been there, and that's why the club has thrived from one or two people getting involved to now we've got kind of over 40 people, 50 people coming in the gym, training specifically kettlebell awesome. sport awesome. and and the online stuff. And, and and that's what kept us going, you know? And uh, yeah, the gym's going to just keep going from strength to strength um, no matter what, you know? It's the passion, right? That, yeah, I, I love how you said it. When, when you got started, passion was, was probably carrying you. Mm -hmm. Because when I mean when you open up a gym, like you said, you don't know anything. You just mm -hmm. yeah, I'm, you got to get started someplace. So there's no man manual to read how to do it. So might as well just get started. And w what I think is so awesome is we have a fairly similar gym. You have your prowler, right? You have your racetrack, the green racetrack. Yeah, the kettlebell. So, yeah, so not, now now it's blue. It's on the it's on the right hand ah, side of the, the okay. right hand side of the gym and got the got the club club colors gone and stuff like that ah, so yeah awesome, we're, we're actually going to be expanding the gym so we're going to be taking out a wall so it's going to be a bigger space awesome. uh, just so we can get more kettlebell lifters in we just it gets a bit too packed at times now mm -hmm. so we're just going to open up the space and uh yeah and like, like i say the the main thing for me in in there in coaching aside from my one-to-one snc clients is is the kettlebell team so making sure that these guys have got everything they need um Believe it or not, anybody who's seen the kettlebell collection we've got, it, it just keeps on getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. Do you know? And uh, yeah, it's just a, a pure awesome. kettlebell gym now, you know? Yeah. Mine too. I mean, I went so far to produce my own now. Oh, I nice, got man, nice. I got out of the way to got I, I actually they reached out to me a, a Chinese uh, a supplier they reached out to me I was like uh, yeah you got kettlebells you got hollow cores they're like yeah we got them so I was like send over some images so they sent over the images I was like that's exactly what I want. So uh, we've ordered two batches now, and a third one's coming in. And yeah, it's just, it, I love how you said it. It's now a kettlebell gym. I mean, back, back when I opened up, I had everything. I had machines in here, not, not, not many, because I don't have a big retail space like the normal gyms do. I have maybe a fraction of it, but I had some machines in there. So uh, when I realized that I'm going to, take, going to take this kettlebell route, because I'm really drilling even deeper into the niche, right? Because, I mean, there's so many gyms out there so you might as well as a coach want to drill down into a niche and become a specialist if you want to survive right mm. so uh then i threw out all the machines right I, i sold almost everything and now we still have a, a bench press we have a rack and then we have the, the 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 central ideas the kettlebells but we also got a prowler so i checked out your images on your website i was like that looks similar to my gym so it's awesome so we have the same the same idea yeah that's that's mm. great so yeah. one thing that I have to ask is my, at least my understanding of business before we jump into the lift, my understanding of business is always that since kettlebell sport is fairly fringe on, a, on, a, on the global stage, it's not easy to become a kettlebell sport coach only make money off of this only because we have so many coaches listening so that's my understanding my perspective but i don't have the insights like you have so my question would be if you want to share this is is it possible to run a gym on kettlebell sport athletes only or do you think yeah no i still have to have this other other part of regular clients or regular people coming in 
So I was, I was, I'm part of a mentorship group, and I've got um, my, like my mentor, my business coach, Paul Morton. He's a he's a great guy. He he says people, we we provide solutions, but people aren't searching for solutions; they're searching for symptoms. Symptoms over solutions. I've got a problem with this. I've got a yeah, problem with that. Yeah, Human yeah. beings, we are attracted to the negative stuff, right? Pains, yeah. And Pains. kettlebell sport fixes quite a lot of symptoms of low confidence. I've never been sporty. Uh, I don't do well in big spaces and commercial places. I don't know what I'm doing at the gym. And the kettlebell is quite a friendly tool in terms of you look at it. It's not intimidating. It's not complex or anything like that. So for us, it's kind of like, right, what's the issues that people are, are, are looking at? Well, first and foremost, well, what sport out there can you do where you can do that with your children? That's how we built our gym. We started our family sessions and we've got parents and kids training alongside each other. We've got, they've been training so long together now, they're actually on the England team together. You know, we've got, we've got parents and kids. And that was a big thing for me. I'm like, Okay, the days of mum and dad standing on the side of a, a football pitch, freezing in the rain, you know, mum and dad need to keep fit. And what is the best role model in a kid's life in terms of fitness? If mum and dad are doing it, it's just something we do. We look at the motivations. We look at the motivational tenets of SDT. We look at that. Okay, well, if mum and dad, it's, I don't need to think about fitness. It's just something we do. That it's becomes part of life. internal. Yeah. Yeah. So training yeah. alongside your kids is really, really powerful. And that's the wow. thing that grew for us because ultimately what was the symptom? Well, I want to get fit, but I've got childcare issues, but also little Johnny doesn't like going to football anymore. He's had his confidence knocked or he's not a sporty kid because he's not good. And the, the, the English curriculum for sport in schools isn't the greatest because they say it's PE physical education, but it's not, it's sport education because you do football, you do rugby, you do mm. athletics. You, you, you're just learning about lots of different sports. But we know physical education is the ability to do carry things, mm -hmm. to squat, lunge, yeah. brace, rotate, exactly. physical literacy. We yeah. solve that. Yeah. So you get to do that alongside of it. So it is possible, but it's more about, it's not about, oh, the kettlebell's great, the kettlebell's this, this is, or I'm this great coach. It's the fact of, no. What's the symptoms people have got? What's the issues people find with their fitness? Well, if they're low on confidence, they weren't the sporty kid at school or whatever, kettlebells can fix that. We've got a, a child who's got autism, so he can't handle lots of stimulus going on at the same time, you know? So mm -hmm. football, rugby, team sports mm. weren't great for him. Put mm -hmm. a kettlebell in his hand, you've got to lift this way, this way for this amount of time or this amount of reps, that's it. Then all of a sudden we're getting reports from his school. He's approaching his schoolwork better. He's doing this. He's doing that. We've got young, young Abby. You might have seen some of the reels. Abby's got spina bifida, so she has to do the seated version of kettlebell sport. All Abby wants to do is just train alongside her friends, her sister, a mom and a dad. She doesn't want to be doing stuff that is wow. Oh, just for for me because I've, I, I'm in a wheelchair or I can't run or walk or whatever. She wants to be able to feel part of something. So kettlebell sport opens that door. So what's the symptom? Well, I've got a barrier to sport because of a physical disability or um, I, I can't process information or I'm, I'm a little bit uncoordinated. The, 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 the solution to that 
is kettlebells, right? Mm -hmm. So all I need to do as a business owner and think about is going, okay, first and foremost, what are the symptoms that I am passionate about helping? I want people to gain more confidence. I want people to be confident in their own body. I want people to be able to just get up and move and do stuff regularly. That's what I'm passionate about. Those are the symptoms that I'm trying to fix. What is my solution? My solution is something that I'm knowledgeable about and I truly believe it can have a real positive impact. That's kettlebell sport. That's my vehicle. And then ultimately, wow. it's always about them. It's always about the individual, you know? Yeah, yeah. So so I get it. So, wow, this is powerful. So you are, you are approaching the business side of things like a business owner has to, right? We have... We have a, a, a group that has a pain and we have to provide a solution to that pain or that symptom, how you described mm -hmm. it. But you're, you're wrapping this whole pain situation and, and the symptoms that people are experiencing in a package that says, hey, listen, the kettlebell might be a solution, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not, so you don't approach because that's, that's I think, I did, it, I did this wrong, at least. I think many people did this wrong too. We are approaching it from the side of, hey, kettlebells are so awesome. Mm -hmm. And hey, they're, they're easy to fix this. They're easy to do this. They're easy to blah, 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 blah. And they're better than this. They give you blah, 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 all these benefits. But you actually have to approach it from the pain side of things. And then you mm -hmm. use the kettlebell sports side of things, or at least the way you, you teach and train with yeah. kettlebells. You use it to melt this together, and that's how you create a functional business. So you're not... But you still have your athletes, right, who are competing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah so, so I get it. So from this point of view, it's, it, is, it is different. So, yeah, that, that's, that's a really interesting take. That's fascinating. Yeah, because you've got, you got yeah. to think, like, anybody will always move away from pain quicker than they will to the, will to the win, right? So if you can think, oh, if I get over there, I'm winning, I'll move to the win a lot quicker if summer is absolutely stabbing me in the back and killing me right so i'm going to move from point a to point b a lot quicker if i'm running away from something ah, okay. that's a, so that's a good in point. terms of in terms of in, in terms of business and it, what is it you know we ultimately we get paid for the value we bring to the marketplace exactly. well, what value what am i good at well i'm knowledgeable on kettlebells i know a little bit i i, I feel i can impart some knowledge on some people okay so what do I need to sell? Well, I've got my family programs. I've got my online coaching. I've got my ranking systems for anybody who can come in. And anybody who joins, I don't have the team training separately. They join in the sessions because they ultimately, if somebody I comes. I love this. Hey, guess guess what? He started on the eights a few this. years back, and yeah. now he's lifting 224s. You could be there in a few years' time. It just takes this. consistency. See the pathway. At the end of the day, uh, John Kavner said this to someone, and it was a great quote. He said, what's the difference between a black belt and a white belt? He said, the difference is a black belt got started sooner. That's the only difference. What's the difference between somebody who uses the eight kilogram kettlebell and someone who uses the 32s? The guy with the 32s just started training sooner. That's all. That's, that's the humble approach. Exactly, man. Exactly. And wow, we had to let that sink in because normally it's like, yeah, you know, he's, he's been around for so many years. He's a legend in the game, blah, blah, blah. No, this guy just picked up 
MMA or kettlebell sooner than you did. So that's it. And we have actually the same philosophy in our, in our small group. Mm. It's like, yeah, how are the classes divided? I don't divide these classes. You have these guys in front of you who are lifting the 24s and 28s or the girls, you know, the 16s maybe. Awesome. And they're doing clean and jerks and we're just doing some deadlifts. Mm -hmm. So that's it, right? But you, you see you see that they were, I, I love this. I do the same thing. They were at the same starting ground. I was at the same starting ground like you are right now, mm -hmm. right? So it's just imparting this, I love this, imparting this, this visualization to the road of success. And I love this, man, moving away from your pain. Mm -hmm. which can get you quicker to the result. I oh, mean, this is fascinating. So, hey, let's, man, Steve, I love talking to you about this, these, this philosophical stuff and <laughs> yeah, business yeah, stuff. Okay. Oh, for it. Oh, for it. <laughs> That's awesome. But now let's, let's get a little bit into the technical side of things. Now, on, uh, just for your understanding, we have, uh, I mentioned this before, we have a lot of trainers tuning into the podcast, which I'm sometimes a little bit amazed that people reach out from, um, they do reach out from all over the world, but sometimes not for the YouTube channel, which I understand it has grown a little mm -hmm. bit, so it's making a little bit of noise. But the podcast, which is way smaller, gets people to react from all around the world as well. So just recently, somebody, a, a, he said, I'm a kettlebell, I'm an American kettlebell lifter living in, in France. Awesome. And he, and he sent me some stuff, which is awesome. So that's why I want to dig a little bit into the three, into the classics, the, the snatch, the jerk, and the long cycle. Mm -hmm. So let's just start from the beginning. And, or, and not from the beginning. One quote that I'm using as well because I did it automatically, but the way you described it in the reel on Instagram makes so much sense. And that is stabbing your feet into the floor, which makes the kettlebells come up. So can you explain a little bit on that cue and why it is so important, at least when it comes to the clean part of the, of the long cycle? Yeah, so basically if we look at coaching cues, basically if we look at cues that are close to the body and then far away from the body. So external coaching cues, this is stabbing your feet into the floor. Or imagine you stood on a scale and you're trying to make the number as high as you possibly can. You know, especially when you think about when you're a kid and you'd go to the shops with your parents or whatever and you put your hand on the fruit scale and you're trying to make the number go as high as you can. Same sort of thing, right? Or you've got a piece of fruit under your feet. You want to try and squash all the juice out of it. Because why? Well, what, what's happening? If I want something to go up, it's physics, right? I've got to be able, it's Newton's laws. I've got to be able to apply a force into the floor in the opposite direction. That's greater than the force of the direction that I want to go the kettlebell. So ultimately that's it. But also what we try and avoid is we want to try and avoid the athlete pulling the kettlebells up with the arms, which then is just going to put them in a bad position with the necks, the, everything else like that. Your legs are designed to do a lot of work. The arms are just kind of like old rope and relaxed because if you put too much pressure on them, they're just going to gas out. So when you look at the clean, we've got a few things. We've got the catch. We've got the backswing. We were that dead point. And then we've got the acceleration pull. The acceleration pull is one of the most critical things because ultimately mm -hmm. this will determine where you land in rack. So if I wait from the backswing and we get it just past the knees and then we apply that force and push down into the floor, well, what's that going to do? That's going to... That acceleration pull says what it does on the tin. It's going to send the kettlebells up, which then means you're going to have more space to be able to push your hands in and then land in rack without having to rely on the grip or using your biceps. You're going to be pulling with the body and you're going to be utilizing everything. So when I'm coaching, uh, when I'm using cues with clients and athletes and stuff, I'm trying to think about, right, 
how do I want them to organize their body? I want them to organize their body and their limbs in this way. But what, what do they have? They don't necessarily know this movement because they haven't trained it much, but they have experience in life. They might they can visualize squashing a piece of fruit under their feet. They can visualize putting the number on the scale. So use that because they can visualize it and they know what that action is. And then once they get that action, then they can go, ah, that's what I'm having. You can feel your hamstrings working now. You can feel your glutes working. You feel your quads working. Mm -hmm. Then they can start making it an internal cue. But we've got to go external. We've got ex experience in life. And then we use that and we bring that in, you know? And we can, when we use external cues, we go far away from the body and close to the body. So I talk about close to the body in kettlebell sport is all about the belly button. Because that's our that's our kind of center of mass, right? The belly button. If our belly button's over our base of support, what do we do? We fall over. If it's behind our base of support, what do we do? We fall backwards, so on and so forth. So I'm always thinking about, right, on the clean and on the snatch and the swing parts particularly, I want to keep my triceps close to the body because that's staying close to my center of mass. That's my that's staying close to my belly button, right? And then where I apply the force, that's far away because that's getting away from the, the center of mass and it's getting a little bit more distance from us. So I'm pushing down into the floor. So my brain's got to send the signal from the brain all the way down the, the spine into the into the feet to then push into the floor. So ultimately that's what I'm trying to do in the in the long, long, long way around. That's that's pretty much it, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's the uh clean part of the mm -hmm. of the long cycle yeah so let's just let's just finish the long cycle right there when it comes to the jerk or not let, let's stay a little bit on there because i see i see some lifters do it differently and i have learned along the way that depending on your body's anthropometrics you want to follow what what your body kind of gravitates towards um i i used to i used to be a believer of this imposed way of teaching which makes sense at a competition and i've read this in uh in uh anatomy trains by michael myers he says the imposed way of teaching is you tell the practitioner the client or the patient you're doing it wrong i'm showing it to you how to do it this is how you are supposed to do it when it comes to a competition or a sport where there's rules i understand you have to follow the imposed way of mm -hmm. of coaching or or you won't be allowed to participate mm -hmm. or you won't score points but then there's the exposed way of coaching and the exposed way says listen let, let's just highlight the flaws you are making i'm showing you what you have to do differently and then we'll let your body accumulate towards this idea and see how you move then maybe your your jerk looks a little bit different than mine so what i am now asking you so i i tried this a little bit the wide stance and the 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 closer stance right mm -hmm. for example let's just bring up two lifters and i, I can bring you I, I see you you have a fairly wide stance and then let's bring in Krostov or uh, what's his name i think yeah. it's Krostov. yeah okay Krostov, yeah Kostov, right, and Vasiliev, right, or Vasiliev. Mm -hmm. So they both have a narrow stance or a narrower stance, at least mm -hmm. Vasiliev. That's that's the one I'm sure of. Mm -hmm. So where is the difference and why do you gravitate towards a wider stance? So in, in kettlebells, you look at it's it's what are the principles of of the, the movements and then the application of the principles. So principles are finite, application is infinite. 
Okay, so why I go wide is because um, basically I've got more stability. So obviously the wider, and because I've got quite a quite strong lower body, it means that I can sacrifice a bit of the the reduction in force because I'm obviously I'm going wider. I'm I'm sacrificing that because it allows me to get under the bells a little bit quicker on my on my second dip. So, but with yeah. my athletes, yeah. I'm just like, you just find your point that the key thing is, is right. What do we want to do? So on the clean, for example, when I do long cycle, I typically coming a little bit narrower than I do when I'm in jerk. Um, and that's simply to make me a little bit more effective with my clean. Right. Mm. So ultimately mm -hmm. that's, that's the key thing, what I'm trying to, trying to get to there. But the principles are, if I want that, I've got to look at the, the laws of motion, right? I, I, if the kettlebells want to go up, I've got to put external forces on them, which are greater than what's happening occurring around the bell to, to change the direction of that. And what I want to do to change the direction of the kettlebell, I want to be utilizing muscle groups and my mass rather than trying to exert force from muscular tension on the kettlebell all the time. So in terms of that, that's what I'm looking for. So when it comes to the clean, what I'm trying to do is if I go a little bit wider with my feet, I create a little bit more of a stable base, which gives me a little bit more stability, but also it allows me to utilize um, my my hip strength or my quad strength compared to having a narrower stance, if that makes sense, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and for me, what makes sense the most is you are decreasing the distance that the kettlebell has to travel, right? If you have a wider stand. So that's what I'm getting at. And then I recently, I, I can't remember some, I, I've heard this twice and I'd like to get your take on it. Um, somebody commented uh, on a TikTok. He said, hey, when you fall into the second dip, doesn't matter whether, it, whether it's long cycle or jerk. Um, when you fall into the second dip, make sure you have a pretty deep second dip because the second dip dictates your win, right? Mm -hmm. What's your take on it? Do you? Th what's more important, the bump or the second dip? How do you, how do you put these two hey, together? Second, second dip wins everything. Okay, ah. second second dip wins. Okay, but if you look at lots of different lifters, and I do because I'm a nerd and I like to watch lifters all the time. All right. Different athletes apply in a different way. Okay. So some athletes will have a larger first dip and a shallow second dip. Some people will have 50 50 split. Some people will have a short first dip and a deep second dip. Okay. So if we look at uh, Movsar Sulemanov, he has a short first dip, but he has a deep second dip. Okay. Because he has a wide stance. If we look at Vladimir Gurov, very, very fast lifter. He has a larger first dip with a bigger bump face and a shallower second dip. Tashlanov has the same as well. Okay, then you've got other lifters. Uh, Markov, yeah, if I'm Markov, very, very like 50 50 ish. Okay, mm, mm -hmm. but the consistency, the consistent thing across all lifters, regardless of type, movement, is speed of second dip. And if you look at it, if you were to draw a line on every single one of it, it's the height of the kettlebell that it travels, okay? Because a lot of people, what they try and do is they emphasize too much force going up. Mm -hmm. What that does is because they put so much force going up, they don't have the speed, they don't have the reactive strength to pull themselves down. 
And think about it. What's harder, a jerk or push press? Well, push press is harder, right? Yeah. Why? Because yeah. I'm using my quads, but then I'm using my shoulders to finish off the movement. And yeah. this is the issue that a lot of people have is they put so much emphasis on first dip and bump that it becomes uncontrolled. And because it's uncontrolled, it knocks out second dip. You think about it. How does an Olympic lifter win yeah. a, a yeah. competition? It, it, it's catching the bar. Catch! It's the catch. Get, it's the catch. Getting underneath it, you know, they it, can send exactly. the bar up, but if they don't get underneath it, they don't complete the lift. Kettlebell sport. It's not your first rep that kills you. It, you know, it's it's accumulation of reps. But if your second dip is poor, time and time again, what's going to happen? You got to try to be forcing the kettlebells up, and it's just going to be one way traffic. When you are doing second dip, you pull yourself underneath. What are you doing? You're changing the musculature that you're doing, but also you're taking the the distance traveled of the kettlebell. You're reducing yeah. that down, yeah. which then takes it off the arms and the shoulders, and it puts it onto the lats and the body. So this is why I always say to people, listen, pull down with the body. I was using it with a guy who had what we call false second dip. Yeah? So false second dip is they do first dip, they send it up, and you look at the heel. The heel stays stays elevated almost pauses and then he's like and then he slams his heels down but i'm like that second dip isn't doing anything he said well what do you mean i'm slamming my heels yeah. down but because you're not slamming your heels down with your body you have you, a, and, I, and i've seen a ukrainian lifter have it and so, i'm saying this is what's killing you this is what's killing you further down the sets remember and, it's a movement where you pull your body so i want exactly. i want you to imagine i'm behind you you're going up i've got my hands on your armpits and i'm pulling you under the kettlebells and then all of a sudden he was like, boom, boom, boom. Okay, right. You've just gone from eight reps a minute on 224s. You've gone to 12. How does that feel? It actually feels easier. What you're telling me that going at an increased 33% total output in a, mi in a minute wow. feels easier than eight reps a minute. Yeah. What does that tell you? Second dip, use it. Why? Because I'm not producing force. I'm taking away. How do you win wow. a fight? How does a combat actually jab, 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 move back, get out of range, rest, reassess, then go. You can't always win going forward. And you can't always like, win a kettlebell competition by pushing force, force, force. It's like understanding how to play defense. Huh? It, mm -hmm. It's not just going on the offense. And wow, the, the, the story that you described, how I would summarize it is don't slam your heels down for the sake of it but use it to become more efficient, right? So that's when you, and wow, that, it makes so much sense, especially how, how I learned it or what I was thinking about. I was thinking about, listen, these I have to propel these heavy weights with as much force as possible up because they're so heavy up. And I want to use my strongest muscles in my body. But actually now, I, then I've realized, I'm like, man, if I use that much force, really shooting them up and I jump down, they wobble around and my arms have to catch it because they want to go so high. So my second dip is almost worthless. I can, like you said, I can just do a push press. It's, it's the same. But the idea, it's more, if I'm understanding it correctly, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. The idea in the jerk is in the second dip, it's, it's supposed to become more a reactive force than an active force, right? 100%, 100%. So it's like a catapult, elastic band, okay? We've gone first dip. We've, ext we've extended through the hips, the knees, and the ankles. Yep. 
not the 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 hips ankles and knees fyi watch out if you ever do video yourself from the first the amount of people that don't extend the knees is ridiculous so they look like they're doing michael jackson and the bump goes over it that's a little side tangent oh let, let, let's let's stay on this let's stay on okay, this and, okay, and keep your thought okay. keep your thought that you want to finish uh, right can, explain a little bit on this right okay so watch people from the side what happens a lot of people on first dip is they go down so we've yep. got a bend on the knee and the yep. ankles so exactly. tracking over the toes yeah descended up what they do is they extend the hip but then they extend the ankle so they're almost like calf raising it up and what you'll see is the 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 knee doesn't extend fully because the knee doesn't extend fully. What they're doing is they're kind of calf raising because that bump ah. isn't as powerful as it can be. They have to use the arms and then they do the second dip, but because they've come so far forward, they can't get the hips back and down. They just get the hips back, which then causes a massive arch in the back. They're not catching it, but that's when they end up with those, what we call Mr. Tick alarms, when they've got the bend in the elbows and the, yeah. elbow, the kettlebells are all over the place. Yeah, 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 they're wobbling around. Because they're pushing the rest of the weight, and you know yourself, if you go for 10 minutes and you're just doing press all the time, and this is why Abby's so awesome, because she does seated press for 10 minutes, but if you watch any kettlebell lifter that keeps on going without extending the knees, not using the quads, which is a powerful, powerful muscle, think about how does... In the NBA, look at how somebody does a free throw. Look at some of the sprinters when they're getting off the line and they accelerate and they're accelerating. You know, fully look locked. at long jumpers, all yeah. of these people. Yeah. Okay, yeah, explosion from the quads. Mm. That's what mm. we want to try and do in kettlebell sport. We want to send the kettlebells up, but just enough that gives it an, enough space to get back and down. So, so ultimately, how... if you don't extend the knees, you're trying to use your calves. And, the, and again, this is where issues arise because as the bells get heavier, you're trying to calf raise 220s, 224s, 228s, mm. and you're thinking, oh, I just need to get stronger. Nah, man, you need to use the right muscles to send it up, mm. you know? So from a from a queuing perspective, how would you remedy this situation? Keep, keep the heels down for as long as possible. Okay, so on first dip... On first bump, dip, yeah. A first dip on bump, keep the heels down for as long as possible. That's the first one. And then also, if somebody's got a massive first dip... Put a box in front of the knees. Give them the feedback. Because if their knees touch the box, like how far does your knees have to go over your toes mm -hmm. to send? Let's 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 mm. let's let's be real. Kettlebell sport, even 232s, is nowhere near what your one rep max should be on your squat. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's, mm -hmm. it's, yeah. it's 64 kilograms. I'm not saying yeah. it's light, but even still, a lightweight lifter who is lifting one and a half times body weight, which mm -hmm. is what the research says. Look at Dr. Tim Shamel talks about two times body weight is when you'll start to see a reduction on return and investment on strength. Okay, if we look at that, yeah, yeah. If we look at that, right, well, kettlebells are relatively lightweight. So on mm -hmm. the force velocity curve, they're down here. Mm -hmm. So what should we be doing? We should be able to move this load quickly. So if I need to be able to move this load quickly, what am I going to do? We look at a lot of power movements. We look at second pull on the Olympic lifts. We look at sprinting. What happens? It's typically short range of movement over quick speed. Okay. So if we think about first dip and that going down, it's not a massive joint angle, is it? We're not going down 90 degrees like we would on no, a squat. No, no. It's We're a going mini around squat. about yeah. 120. It's shallow, right? Yeah, shallow. So, yeah. So that's going to, we're going to load, then explode. What I don't want to do is I don't want to go down so slow and I don't want to go so far forward that when I explode up, 
I can't optimize and use my quads in the way that they should be used. Because if I'm not doing that, what am I going to do? The brain saying, I need to get this weight up. Okay, use your arms because that's how we push and get these weights from my hands above my head. I push with my arms. But if your legs haven't fully extended, you're leaving money on the table. Mm -hmm. So now if I put a box in front of their knees, that first dip is shallow enough to give them enough so then they can concentrate on second dip. So, Ultimately, that's the key thing that we're trying to look for. Okay, and let me just uh, um, reiterate this a little bit. The idea with the first dip is we want to be quick and explosive. You don't want to load it slowly, right? You want to go quick with your first dip. Not necessarily. Not not like so quick because at the end of the day, if if you've got a really fast car but you've got rubbish brakes on it, it ain't going to stop, right? Okay. So if you go so fast that you can't then brake, quick enough ah. to send it back up and change direction. Ah, okay. Your reactive strength is going to be... So sometimes I get my athletes to say, listen, I want you to slow down first dip. And they're like, what? Slow down first dip and just focus on that change of direction, <sighs> i.e. going down to then go vertical. Yeah. Make yeah. that as quick as you possibly can. Yeah. Then it'll be like a bullet from the gun. I, I Remember, yeah. first dip is only cocking back the trigger, right? It's only It's only loading the gun. Boom. So, so if we go exactly, so if we go too fast, and that I experienced this, if we go too fast on the first dip, the kettlebells move forward, and you have to you have to recalibrate you and use energy to catch them so that they stay in the spot, which costs mm -hmm. energy. So it has to be like so like I love this. It's like pulling the trigger. Doesn't yeah. it's not supposed to be too fast, but not supposed to be too too slow. So yeah. as we go into the uh, into the uh, uh, first dip, the uh, the the knees the knees start bending the 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 shins move forward the heels stay on the floor mm -hmm. so now here comes the the loading phase where we shoot the gun that's the bump and yeah. I love how you described it because I used to think the idea is to make it look like Michael Jackson with the bump mm -hmm. but it is not right you don't want to fly too high with with the heels off the floor because mm -hmm. you want to. If, if I'm reading this right, understanding this right, as you are moving into the bump, you are already thinking about second dip. Yeah. So yeah. if I use too much force in the bump, and as I'm Michael Jackson it, boom, the, 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 using a lot of calf muscles, the heels go up very high, that's not, the, that's not ideal. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. And, and what a lot of people do is they try and initiate the calf muscles and get onto their toes before they finish off the movement for the knees, do you know? So they, that's why they end up doing literally the hips come up. They've still got a bent knee because they've, they've chucked the knee so far forward on first dip. They've come through the calf, ah. which then really reduces the amount of force that they're putting into the kettlebells. You know? uh, and that's why you put a box in front of them because you tell them, listen, you, do, you don't want to, uh, you don't want to go with the first dip too, too deep mm -hmm. because this will mess up your bump. Makes sense now. Makes sense. And I've always got a weird way of doing things, but it don't <laughs> yeah, make sense. And it's it's it, that's why that's why I told you I, before we got started. I, I'm really looking forward to this conversation because it's a technical discussion that uh, you have to have some form of understanding of these lifts in order to understand what we're talking about. But it makes sense. So you win with the second dip. So my second question would be: Why are there then? 
some athletes who don't, like you said, who don't have a or have a fairly shallow second dip, and why are they able to pull it off? So basically, it'll, it'll look at their their body type, okay, and it'll look oh. at where their strengths and their power are. So if you look at Vladimir Gurov, Gurov has been a legend of the sport, been around for such a long time. He was a master of sport, international cast powerlifter. So he's a very very strong guy. Oof. Okay, mm -hmm. so he has a shallow second dip, but if you look at, and this is from the relay stuff, so if you look, watch his relay, so he'll sacrifice that because his strengths in some areas will make up for it. Gurov's a 95 kilo plus lifter as well, okay? If we look at Movsar Sulemanov, 73 kilo lifter, okay? So his second dip, and Johnny Johnny Benitz, again, mm. Mm -hmm. Under sixty-eight kilos. Ah, the the, the, small, the yeah. smaller guy. Look, look, yeah, look, look at that. Guy's a rocket. What, <laughs> what, what wins him? The speed of his second dip and the depth of his second dip. So ultimately, it's about where are my strengths and my weaknesses. Ah. I can get somebody who is incredibly fit and super, super strong. They will breeze through long cycle. They will breeze through long cycle, even with not so much of a strong technique. Why? Because they're able to utilize their strengths and their key attributes in other areas. You know, if we look at some of the best snatchers in the world, what are they doing? They've mastered the art of utilizing their body weight in moving around the kettlebell. Why? Because you can't really muscle no, up snatch no. for long periods of time because it, your forearm's going to gas out. So that's the key things that we've got to look at. It's wow. where do your strengths and weaknesses lie outside of kettlebell training where we can utilize it. So a lot of guys go, I need to get more mobile. I need to get more mobile. But if you're not strong at that end range of movement, you're not going to be able to utilize it. So what do we need to do? What what levels do we need to improve outside of the, the kettlebell sport? Is it strength? Is it your aerobic capacity? You might be the strongest guy in the room. If your heart can't take it, what is it going to do? You're going to get into your threshold too quick. Yeah. If you're in your yeah. threshold too quick, again, yeah. your stress muscles are going to tighten up your forearms, your back, yeah, yeah. perhaps everything else. Which is, yeah, so you have to apply some proper SPP exercises for folks mm -hmm. who, who lack in those areas, right? That's how you mm -hmm. prepare an athlete. Wow. So, man, it, this makes so much sense because when I was preparing for Steve Carter's IKFF certification 2 test. I had to do 40 jerks with double 20s and 100 snatches. And my t I, I managed it and I prepared, f I, I mean the first time I picked up double 20s for seriously was in February 2019. I already had them, had them in the gym but I did, I, I I use them like weird shaped dumbbells, like many do, if they don't know how the USP of kettlebells, which is normal. So then when I got the requirements, I was like, wow, so I have to hoist these two suckers up for 40 times, jerking them. Okay, so I, I learned it by myself, did everything, and my technique was pure crap, but I had a very strong bench press, a very strong squat, and a very strong deadlift for my body weight, even though I'm not the strongest. But for my capacity, I was fairly, I think I'm not maxed out, but I really went to my limits of strength. And that's what was carrying me in the jerk. Mm -hmm. I almost gassed out and died, but I did it with these 40 reps. So probably I was harnessing my my body's strength capabilities because the jerk with the snatch was a little bit different mm 
Mm-hmm. The snatch, thank God I was doing a lot of metabolic and cardio stuff because this got my this got my heart rate way better, so my cardio went was better, even though my hands looked like hamburger meat after these two exercises. But uh I think I muscled it through. Mm-hmm. And remember what we said at the beginning, in times of extreme stress, we sink to the level of our training. Yeah. So what does maximal strength do, training do? It improves our neuromuscular efficiency. It looks at inter and intramuscular coordination, rate of force development. All of these things play a part in moving objects in certain weird ways. Okay, ex- ex- Exerting force on an external object. That's what maximum strength training does. So that's what got you through the jerk pit. Wow. Uh, in times of stress, you were able to utilize it. You know, you were able to utilize force in multiple different directions because you've got that, your ceiling is higher. The metabolic conditioning, because anybody who does snatch, like, and this was a big realization to me, it's like, man, it's not your technique that's killing you. You're just not fit enough. Just get (laughs) fitter. Just get fitter. And anybody who's done military snatch and gone at a quick pace knows that, right, your threshold, you need to get that up, do you know? Mm, yeah, exp- explain military snatch. So military snatch is just multi-switch snatch over 12 ah, minutes. Ah, okay. okay. Ah, okay, okay. Oh, yeah. With multiple multiple Yeah, hands, yeah, yeah. Is, ah, In competition okay. they call it they call it military snatch. But ah, okay. but basically cuz it's multi-hand change you're not relying on grip strength and you're not mm. really relying on specific endurance. Mm. Uh, in terms of like muscular endurance, local muscular endurance cuz mm-hmm. you can change hands as much yes. as you want. Yes. Yes, yeah, so, so it's not the yeah. So so it's not the weakest. You so you don't have to depend on the weakest link in the chain. Exactly. You have to depend on your body's capacity to move through the the set. So the, exactly. your cardio, right? Oh, I get it, man. I, this just uh, one thought that crosses my mind. I had a conversation with Valery Fedorenko on this podcast, and he said, you know, when I was doing when I was doing competitions, it was different in my time. I was like, why was it different? He said, you know, in my time, it was. When you were doing snatch, for example, you had uh, 100 reps with the left side, and then after five minutes you switch, and then you switch your, to your weaker side or your stronger side, whatever have you, and then you did 99. Mm-hmm. The count was 99. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So, so it's like you had to perfect both sides, and then I think they loosened it up and changed it a little bit. But I was like, wow, that that's that adds another layer of 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 uh, gruesomeness on this on this sport, where it's like, listen, both of your sides have to equal themselves out, which is just crossed my mind as you were explaining the military yeah. stats. Tough stuff. So uh, let's let's uh, move a little bit forward. Uh, when it comes to oh, not one, one question that I wanted to ask because we were, we were talking about uh, maximal strength or strength training in that regard. Do, do your athletes, are you having them do heavy sets with barbells to get their max strength up during their SPP or their preparation phase anytime uh, up to their competitions? Yeah, so a lot of my guys train three times a week. So basically what I'll do is out of competition, they'll do uh, barbell work and maximal strength work before they do the kettlebell sets because the kettlebell sets aren't necessarily the main goal. We're keeping our hands on the steel, but we're utilizing them in kind of just general. We're not a competition weight. We're not a competition pace. We're not putting much emphasis on the competition. We're just keeping our level of performance stable 
whilst mm-hmm. we raise up other physical qualities. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. we get closer, when we start getting into our competition cycle, what we'll do is we'll change our maximal strength work and we'll reduce that right down and we'll go yeah. into kind of power training. And that's more about early in the training cycle because it's kind of, again, keeping on top of that neuromuscular and keep that what's going on there. But also it just keeps them a little bit more interested because we know that for six to eight weeks, it's just going to be completely really high volume, heavy kettlebell training sets, which for training monotony is quite difficult to handle at the best of times. But with kettlebell sport, it's an extra element of mental stress we need to, need to consider. So that's when we just change it about. But yeah, they'll always be doing some maximal strength stuff. One, training monotony, it gets away from that. But also, I always want to be making sure that I'm raising the ceiling of every other physical quality. Because if we've got kettlebells in the middle, if I raise their strength levels, that's going to trickle down into like strength, strength endurance, power endurance. If I increase levels of flexibility and aerobic capacity, that's going to force form a foundation. So I basically got this circle in the middle, which is kettlebell sport, then I've got two upside down pyramids and I want to make sure that I'm filling in both ends of that. So it feeds into the circle of kettlebell sports. So I'll raise strength. I'll develop aerobic capacity, flexibility training, lifestyle factors, et cetera, et cetera. Mm, so so that's, yeah, that's the way I approach great, it. Great, great, great. So it's supposed to be part of it. Now, now that you're mentioning a training monotony, just one great quote from a, uh, one great quote from a coach that just crossed my mind, which just makes so much sense. Uh, he said he was asked by a journalist. He said, "What what is the difference between a good athlete and a great athlete?" And he said, "Well, the great athletes push through the boredom. That's mm. it. So these are the guys who are." Even if it's boring as hell, and man, another set of whatever have you done this for so many times, but mm-hmm. you're still pushing through. And in, in my case, even though I don't prep and I don't go to competitions, every Friday, every Friday for years now, it's always jerk with double kettlebells, jerk, deadlift, and long cycle in, in one-minute set. So one minute of jerk, one minute of deadlift, one minute of long cycle for three rounds. And, and I... I don't know. There's so much enjoyment I get out of these lifts, especially the jerk in a long cycle. And that's why when I see stuff that I watch from you, then I see other guys do stuff. I watch the Russians and then I'm like, okay, I got to adapt a little bit. And I always have to I wonder, I wonder what, what's your take on this. I always have the feeling that there's still room and a level to, to improve with my skill with the exercise. Do you think there's a point where you reach it, where you reach a certain level of expertise where you're like, hey, I think I got the skill set down pat? Or do you think there's always a little bit of um, adjustment or improvement that is in the room that you can grasp? Yeah, so because basically as you get better in certain other physical qualities, as you mature, as you change, it, it presents a different challenge. So as I get stronger, I can utilize my strength in a different way because I can utilize my strength in a different way. I can change my technique because I'm able to get in a better position and hold better postures, for example, which then allows me to increase my work rate. If I go from six reps a minute on long cycle with 232s up to eight, then that presents a different challenge because I'm moving at a quicker thing. So what happens as I go faster, things break down a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm a big fan and kettlebell sport is is always be doing speed work. 
And because if you train slow, you become slow. Train fast, you become fast. But also with speed sets, if you just pick up the bells and just say, right, one minute max effort, I'm going to do as many reps as possible. Typically find that people take the handbrake off. They don't think about the technique as much, but you get to see what they do very, very well and what they don't do as well. So it, it speeds up the point where they break down because you, I, I see videos all the time, my online athletes and I see it in the gym. They get to six, seven minutes and this is happening. They're leaning too far back. They're sinking the hips forward. It happened mm-hmm. to me the other day. I just was mm-hmm. tired. So my hips mm-hmm. ended up too far forward, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If I do that in a minute and go sp- and do speed work and my forearms gassing out by the end of the minute, I'm like, well, that's my grip. If I'm losing my second dip, then it's like, right, I'm, I haven't got the braking forces in my quads. My legs aren't strong enough because I'm shooting too far forward. If I'm my triceps are gassing out, it's probably because I'm my second dip's not deep enough, or I'm trying to push too hard with my triceps. So I'm going to need to work on that. But also, let's look at kettlebell sport as it is. It's a reaction, right? At the end of the day, we look at Kipchoge who did that sub two hour marathon in crazy, absolutely mental. The guy looked like he had springs on his feet. It was complete reactive. You put Kip, you put a video of Kipchoge up, then you look put a video of Ivan Markov off. His first rep kind of looks like his last rep. There's very little breakdown. That's what's happening there. It's a reaction. Everybody teaches it as a force sport. It's not a force sport. It's a reaction force. It's the ability to change direction multiple multiple times over a prolonged period by applying. Just enough force. It's like Goldilocks and the free bears. She always went to the just right porridge, the just right bed, et cetera, et cetera. We want to apply just the right amount of force, which allows us to react, change direction, get under bells, the amortization phase, come back out of it, relax, then load and explode and go again. Kettlebells is a reaction sport. Wow. It's not a force this is, sport. This is, this is such a good point. I, you know, I, 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 always think at least for the mortals i don't i mean markov and some folks i i consider them immortals i mean when you do when you see them in their i love how you describe it because that's exactly my understanding as well when they finish their set and the last rep looks like the first i'm like how is that even possible so my understanding is that your technique always takes collateral damage if intensity is applied Mm -hmm. but when you look at these professionals you understand that Wow. So there is a way of moving through a set and it doesn't even have to be a 10 minute set. Let's make it a, a five minute set for somebody who's not that uh, strong or not that proficient. It, there is a way of striving to proficiency or perfection, at least, where you are able to have your last rep look like your first rep because your explanation, mm-hmm. you have to react to the weights and not act on the weights of course we have to act on them but the way you describe it makes so much sense so while collateral damage is happening you think we are supposed to strive towards a place where your last rep looks like your first rep right mm-hmm. look at it every elite athlete you know and if we look at any sport you know like i say we use kipchoge we look at mo farah when he was driving yeah. by in the olympics yeah. we look at usain bolt when he crossed yeah. the line 
You know, everything, the first rep is always looking like the last rep. And and that's because that movement variability. And I know James talks about this from GS Science. Big shout out, James. Great guy. But he talks about movement variability. What we want to try and do is we want to try and scale that variability down as much as we possibly can. Because if we have too much variability, then basically what we're going to be doing is we're going to be chucking, going into this position, that position, which is not a repeatable pattern. If it's not a repeatable pattern, how does the body come to adapt to it? Remember the said principle, Anselia, specific adaptation to demands, right? So what we want to try and do is we want to try and minimize that window and that bandwidth of technical variability, which stops us being as efficient as we possibly can and target that system over a prolonged period of time. So that's kind of the way I see it anyway, you Mm -hmm. know? And and see, this is where this quote comes in again, where you have the great athletes who push through sets, exercises, days, workouts, where they have been doing the same stuff for the thousands of times and they're still passionate or they at least play it somehow. And and this is how they perfect the movement. And, and because when I re- reading stuff from Dr. Michael Yeses, who's one of the legendary biomechanists out there, who alongside Dr. Jurebet Hosansky brought the Soviet sciences into the U.S., says that in the fringe sports where there is a high degree of, of uh, genetics required, he says it's only two sides, either high strength, you mentioned Usain Bolt. Mm-hmm. If you want to be the fastest sprinter, if you don't have the proper muscle fiber distribution, forget it. No amount of training can take you there. You have to have this gen- genetic component. Mo mm-hmm. Farah, the other side, same thing. So you have to have this genetic com- component, yes. But he says in the middle, it's all about the proper training mm-hmm. and the proper preparation. So pushing, I, I think that's, I don't know what it is, but that's why I'm so stuck with the jerk. And every time I do the exercise, I still feel, and see, that's having this conversation with you. I'm like, ah, okay, this is my mistake. This is where I have to adjust. See, so many things now pop into my head because I realize something is still not quite right. And my body's telling me this. Mm-hmm. And I video myself so often. I compare it to the other guys. I'm like, see, it, it's still off. I mean, you've come a long way, but it's still off. And so the only way to improve is listen to professionals like you, get get the recommendations, listen to how you see it, apply it, and then put an out another thousands of reps into the exercise and then master the movement, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think one thing that I would say to that is, all, and again, it's always a caveat, right? But I think the biggest thing, the mistakes I made and everything, every bit of coaching success I've ever had, people want to deem it that is always come from my mistakes because I had, I, I just had Russian shouting at me early in my lifting career. I mean, you know, like I look back at the coaching and the coach, they coach to a system and these guys were great guys, but in terms of coaching language, it just was, was just shouting at me. Right. Yeah, I've heard that. But, yeah. I've heard that too. <laughs> but for, for me, like, and these guys, guys were great, but it just, sometimes it didn't resonate because I, mm-hmm. I just felt, I felt rubbish about myself. And yeah. ultimately everything yeah. that I see is always from the mistakes I've made, but is just find the one big thing that's going to have the biggest impact and just drill that. When I speak to my speak to my class, like athletes and stuff like that they're going oh i need to do this i need to do that i need to do this i need to 
which one thing are you going to focus on for the next next week to mm. 10 days? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I'll focus on... So I'm working with somebody who's in preparation for world championships. It's mm-hmm. the Snatch 24kg that he's specifically working on. Like, all I want you to focus on is is keeping the lats tight, and I want you to imagine you're opening the fridge door. Open the fridge door, you pull the body back, pull the body back, keep the lats uh... tight. I, I don't want you to focus. Well, what about the catch? What about that? No, just focus on yeah. keeping the lats tight. He's like, yeah, but what? Focus on keeping the lats tight because if you keep the lats tight, that's going to change the trajectory of the belt. It's going to take the pressure off the shoulder overhead. It's going to help you with your acceleration pull. It ticks more boxes than one of these each components. Focus on one thing and just think about it. Like the way the human brain takes on information, we just we don't we can't take on lots of information at the same time. So mm-hmm. focus on one thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what I say to my guys, what are you going to work on today? That's it. And if, when we're in competition practice, some people will come and, and they'll, they'll look at me train and they go, Steve's not doing much. And I just got the athlete, what are you working on today? Oh, second dip. What a part of second dip. Oh, catching with the lats. Cool. I'll go to the next person, what we're working on today. I'm just going to relax my grip because I feel like I'm over gripping. Okay, mm. great. And... Focus mm. on this. Focus yeah, on this. Focus so on for what? me, coaching, mm. I don't need to then go, first dip, do this, yeah. do that, do this, do that. <laughs> yes. Come on, lats tight, lats tight. Yeah. Pull under yeah. the bells, pull yeah. under the bells. Remember, straight arm, straight arm. When the elbows bend, the power ends. Focus on this, focus on I this. I love this. That's yeah. all, that's all, that's all. It's repetition, repetition. Go for the big yeah. rocks. And the biggest mistake I made is in the beginning, I would kick the crap out of my technique. You need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to yeah. do this. And then all I would do it, I'd be swimming in circles going, yeah. oh, well, yeah. that was off, that was off. And I was like, but what are you doing? The brain's mm-hmm. going, I don't know what to do now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and I'm like, yeah, yeah what, what, I, why? Why, why? This doesn't even work. It's like, exactly. Yeah, it's, like, it's like when you tell your child first thing in the morning, I tell my daughter, oh, you got to do this. And then you got to do this, do this. And she does nothing from, she does nothing. And I'm like, oh, she's so lazy. And you're like, hang on. She doesn't listen. Oh, yeah. No, every exactly. time you point the finger, there's three pointing back at you. It's the fact that you <laughs> poor instruction. <laughs> it's one. the fact that she didn't, so she didn't understand any of it. So she did nothing. So yeah. it's on you. You know, so ultimately, it's just, it's the same thing with coaching and training. Focus on one thing, nail that. What's going to give you the biggest return in investment? If I said to to you, go and invest your stocks and shares on here, it's going to give you a massive return of 50%. And you're going to go, yeah, but I'm going to put my stocks and shares in here because this is going to give me a return of 1%, 2%, 3%. Mm. I'd be like, yeah, but just put your money on there, get the 50%. Then diversify it, right? You know, mm, good man. So many good points. It's, and I, <laughs> I, I think one uh, just had a conversation. I think it was last week or two weeks ago with a coach from uh, Long Beach, California, and he said, "You know what we sometimes do wrong is we throw the book at our clients." So I did this too. I was like, okay, we got to focus on breathing. Now focus on the pool. Now focus on this. Focus on that. Focus on that. And I remember one client, he was like, man, you're telling me to focus on so many things. I don't know what to focus on now. Yeah, and, yeah. and that was one of the points when I realized, I was like, oh, I think I got to shut my mouth a little bit. Or just yeah. focus on one thing. And it happens with the same with us. So your experience, same here. I was like, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. And and Vasilev said told me told told me too. He was like, "Listen, man, just one thing at a time. 
mm-hmm. and then you move on from there. F- fascinating. So on on this these final fifteen minutes, uh, Steve, about the snatch. Let's jump a little bit into the snatch because you already mentioned it, and then I have one final question that I want to ask you. But about the snatch, um, you mentioned uh, opening up the fridge, keeping the lats tight. What are some of the most important cues when it comes to the snatch? So the biggest things for me is keeping the tricep close to the body throughout the swing and the back swing coming into the acceleration pull on the drop. You keep the tricep close to the body. You're typically going to win. How you get the tricep close to the body is you shift your body off the side. Okay. So this is the key things I always talk about when with my guys. Anyway, when you're coming to do snatch, I only want you to think about, you can only move horizontally. That's all you can do. And they go, how is this going to work? I'm like, just think about moving horizontally. And then mm. all of a sudden, this stops them looking like they're painting the fence. And they're just, their arms going up and down. And you're like, you try, you, you, your traps are hurting, right? Your grip's hurting, yeah? Stop painting the fence. You know, this isn't karate, kid. It's not Mr. Miyagi. You're not painting the fence. Stop doing it. What, what do you mean? I said, think about it. Look at your size of your traps. You know, look at the size of your forearm. Yeah. Look at how much force they can produce. How much, how much do you weigh? You're trying to move an object that is kind of sometimes a 10% of your body weight, for example, mm-hmm. and or 5% of your body weight. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to rely on force. You're trying to rely on muscular tension to move that. Well, it doesn't make sense. Relax the grip. It's not your partner. You're not squeezing the neck for a change. It's a kettlebell. Relax your grip. Okay, keep the elbows loose. When the elbow bends, the power ends. We know this. Keep it long as it comes through. Move back. Acceleration pull. Then it goes up. Once they start getting used to moving horizontally, then I can start to concentrate on pushing the leg into the floor, the opposite leg. So if the kettlebell's in the right arm, the left leg's doing the work. It's that yeah. cross body effect, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. But because they're used to moving back, then all of a sudden it's just a small bit of vertical force to send the kettlebells up. Because remember, if we want something to go up, we've got to push down, mm-hmm. push. Oh, I'm moving back now. I've just put enough force to send the kettlebell up. Remember, it's only snatch. It's only one kettlebell compared to jerk. When there's two kettlebells, then it flies up. Bosh, done. So that's those are the key things. So I know I talked about a lot there. So master moving horizontally, keep the tricep close to the body in the swing components and onto the drop and the catch. So get it closer to the center of mass in line with our belly button as mm. quick as you possibly can. And don't squeeze the kettlebell like it's your partner's neck, even mm. if they've just left food out on the table for a few days. It's not that. Just relax the grip and you'll be fine. So let's extrapolate a little bit on this idea of moving horizontally because that's that's a hard thing to understand even for me because, I mean, for me, the snatch is a, a vertical movement. So how do you, uh, where should we focus on this moving horizontally like this? Yeah. So 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 think, think about it. As the kettlebell is going in front, if I shift my weight back, yeah. What's it going to do? The weight is going to act as a bit of a counterbalance, right? Yes, yes. If I stay nice and upright in terms of if I just extend and flex at the hip, again, I'm relying on muscular force. 
and I'm just going to be put, I'm going to have to pull the kettlebells up. Whereas if I can come through with a shallow knee bend, then I start to extend with the hips, the ankles, I've moved my body weight back. And because my lat's tight, it's keeping connected to the body, bump, then it goes up. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to move my body weight forward and back because as I drop, if I don't move my body weight back, what's the kettlebell going to do? It's the length of my arm. The kettlebell is going to be the length of my arm away from my center of mass. Yeah. If I move my body weight back, it's closer. Like we start to bend the elbow. Yeah. What is, what is it? I've just reduced. Yeah. Exactly. How far away from my center of mass the kettlebell is. Exactly. Because it's close, it then means it's going to be higher up the thigh, which then means again it's staying closer to my mass. Think about if we want to do a barbell deadlift. Where does the barbell start? It starts touching the shins. Mm-hmm. We've got that. We keep it tight. Mm-hmm. If it's mm-hmm. in front of the shins, we end up rounding the back, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly the same. If we do our Olympic lifts, we're pulling it close. Get to second pull. It looks like we're pulling our T-shirt up. Why? Because if it gets too far away from us, we're going to have to move forward and catch under the bar. Mm-hmm. Kettlebell sport and the snatch, it's no different. We move back so the kettlebell can come close to our center of mass. As it comes through, then we're kind of moving back so then we can exert our body mass onto the kettlebell, which is then going to allow it up. It's not massive amounts Ah, of movement, but it's just shifting the weight horizontally so we can move out of the way of the kettlebell to get closer to the center of mass. Then we can move it back to put our body weight onto the kettlebell. Ah, now, now I get it. I was, I was, yeah, I was on the wrong side of things because now totally makes sense because I use this technique as well. So it's all about using your upper body as leverage, right? Mm-hmm. How you, uh, and that's that's how you explain this horizontal movement with with the body uh, swaying back and forth and going with the kettlebell, making sure that the weight is close to the to the center of mass. Nah, now I get it. And about rotation, what is your take on as the kettlebell travels or falls into the backswing and we get the connection, the arm reconnects with the body, so the kettlebell goes into the backswing and we let it travel. How much of rotation do you allow or do you think it makes sense? Do you think it's good to keep efficiency going or do you think, nah, it's a little bit tricky for, this, for the back or whatever have you? What's your take on this? So typically what I, I try, I try not to make it a, a coached over rotate, rotate. I don't try and make it a deliberate action with the rotation. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Like you were talking about before, let the body think about it, and let mm-hmm. it figure it out. Mm-hmm. What you'll find is some people will just end up naturally rotating. Mm-hmm. Some people will just stay a little bit more square on depending mm-hmm. on their length of the arm, the length of the torso, where it is in relation to the catch point, et cetera, et cetera. Mistakes I've made in the past and what I've seen people do is they try and deliberately coach the rotation too much, which then means you see people come down, they bring the shoulder back, Ah. and then they try and corkscrew Mm. it. But because it's so big, they lose all of the tension through the upper body, which then means as they come through, they're going to be yanking the kettlebell up, which then means they're going to have to pull it up. Whereas I try and think about, no, you're going to catch here, just go into your backswing. Just let it happen. Let the kettlebell pull you through. And typically, you'll find that person will just have a rotate, wow. come back. You yeah. might have to coach them moving the arm back a little bit. Yeah. So as they move back with the arm, yeah. then they'll go. They either rotate to reach right the way through. Lighter lifters, you'll typically find they have a bigger backswing because they're mm-hmm. going to mm-hmm. let it come through to then come back up. 
heavier lifters tend to have a little bit of a shorter backswing not all the time but a little bit mm. just because they can utilize their body mass a little exactly. bit more they don't have to have that momentum in the kettlebell exactly so again again it goes to show that as the kettlebell drops into the backswing it if you start rotating it's because you are doing it out of a reaction mm -hmm. and not out of acting on it by 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 uh, uh, exerting force in your body and starting to twist it intentionally. Yeah. The idea is just let it twist you to a certain extent mm -hmm. if you feel comfortable with it and if, if it gives you a slight edge. Got yeah. it, got it, awesome. So and the biggest, biggest yep. thing with that is you'll see people, what I call like the Elvis foot on snatch, and as they do their acceleration pull, they'll, yeah. Yeah. they'll deliberately try <laughs> and lift the heel up. And yep. I'm like, do you want me to go and put like Shaking Stevens on or something? Do you want me to go change the music? Like, what are you doing? It's like, oh, yeah, but I've seen people do this. I'm like, that's a reaction. That's a reaction See, to the fact that they've point. used their opposite yes. leg yes. to push so much force on that's yes. caused that rotation, which is then pulled the opposite leg up. They're yes. not deliberately going, I'm all shook up and then yeah. lifting the, lifting the <laughs> heel yes. up. You're yes. not doing that because you're yes. not using your body weight on the kettlebell. Yeah. So that so is not a reaction yeah. to what you're doing. You're deliberately trying to manufacture it. Yeah, but I can kick through with a hip. Tell me how that's going to go for you. If you're only, if you're trying to kick the kettlebell up with your hip and you're not going to use your upper body and you're not going to move the body weight back, you're leaving reps on the table, man. Mm. You know. <sighs> but again, that's just my opinion. That's the way I see it anyway. But again, it explains you are explaining it so well out of the understanding of this being a reaction because many people ask this when when they see uh when they see us move in in the workouts and stuff they always say like hey li listen you lift your your heels off the floor and then i'm like yeah it's called a foot kick technique i heard it from uh uh i forgot his name just escapes me He's, he explains it as the foot kick technique where you want to um Keep the arm connected to the hips a little bit longer, which makes sense. But at the end of the day, it happens out of a reaction. It's not, I love how you say it. It's not deliberately, I don't manufacture it. I just mm -hmm. let it move me. So mm -hmm. now this gives, gives me a way better explanation by, by telling folks, yes, this is a technique that you can use. However, it's, a, it's supposed to be more a reactive type of technique out of the basics that you are doing right. So if you mess up one, like you said, like you said it, if you mess up the big rocks, this kicking off of your heels won't do you any good. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand the pendulum, you have to understand the leaning back and, and using your body as leverage, and then lifting of your heels off the floor becomes this reaction and this technique that you can use. Mm -hmm. Man, makes so much sense, man. See, I, I told you, I, I'm getting a lot of out of this. This is so <laughs> fascinating. No problem, Awesome. Stay my final question to you since we talked about kettlebell sport and stuff. And uh, I, I don't have to tell you this. I'm, you probably get these comments as well. And like you said, I love this. I always think about this as well. Not, not in, in that sense, but now I apply it to my life as well. Thinking, hey, man, I'm the worst in the room. So keep criticizing me. Maybe there's some stuff that I can learn from and maybe not. And that's how I treat our YouTube channel and all our social channels. We get a lot of feedback from a lot of people. And I can say with certainty now, uh, since we have built uh, a certain community, 90% of the feedback is always that these are true questions, honest questions from people who don't understand, and then you can explain it to them. And sometimes it's just people are just mad at, at, at stuff. That's just, that's just normal. That's yeah, the par yeah. part of being on social, right? 
So my question would be, um, this blends into this question, how do you see it from the kettlebell sport perspective, the hard style perspective? Because I'm a little bit of a hybrid. I jump between both sides. I think it's awesome, especially for GPP, just general fitness. That's how I see it. But sometimes people are exposed to only one side and then they criticize the other the heck out of it. They're like, oh, you're not keeping your feet planted on the floor and all these cues that they learn from hard style guys. Or then you hear the sport guys uh, uh, teaching a Turkish get up, which looks a little bit questionable. So what is your take on hard style and, and these two worlds, how we can combine them? Do you even use some hard style techniques? Your just basic opinion on this. Um, it's, it's like anything, you know, it's uh, kettlebells are a tool, how you utilize that tool. If, if I played football, so for my American listeners, we, what you call soccer. Um, but if I play, <laughs> if I play football and I'm kicking it around, you know, but yet somebody wants to pick it up and starts putting it through a basketball hoop, you know, who, oh, who's right point. and who's wrong. It's just who, whatever game you want to play at that time. Ultimately, there's variants of techniques. There's different ways that you can apply techniques to any sort of tool. Again, that's up to you. It's whatever you whatever you want to do. What what I would say is is kettlebell sport is a specific type of training that is all about improving muscular efficiency and trying to look at how we can go for sustained periods of time up to three minutes up to some of the marathon guys that are going on mm-hmm. for longer. But mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. do we get to that point? The hard style guys from what I see are looking at doing lower repetition, more explosive, powerful works. And they talk about strength training and stuff like that. And, you know, if that's the style of training you enjoy doing, then, then cool. I've got no problems with it. I think, I think people just uh, sometimes question what they don't know. And mm. if you question what you don't know, then then that's on you. You know, if if you mm. get too emotional around a response of fear of not knowing the answer or understanding the answer that's coming back to you, mm. then then you're responsible for that. You're responsible mm. for how you react to that. You know, uh, if you don't like the way somebody is lifting a kettlebell and you don't understand, ask the question. Mm-hmm. If you jump out and criticize and call them an idiot and they don't know what they're talking about, you are becoming blunted to opening your mind and learning from other people. Mm-hmm. So for, for me, hard style, soft style, whatever it may be, it's different forms of training. I'm not going to go to That's a basketballer it. and saying, you've got a ball, you should be kicking it in the net. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's different. It's Good just, point. it's just different. It's different, you yeah. know? And at the end of the day, you know, yeah. it, you've got uh, training. How do you get long-term results from training? It's typically, you've got to enjoy it. Yeah. And if, if you're telling me I can only train one form of training and I don't enjoy it, I'm not going to stick with that. Mm. I'm not going to stay consistent. So mm. at the end of the day, if you, if you've been taught a school of thought, ask questions. Well, why do you do it like that? I was taught this way. Ah, that's interesting. Mm. Well, actually, my goal is to do kind of heavy swings and do up to five Mm. reps or up to 10 reps. And Mm. that's my thing. And I I enjoy doing that. Mm -hmm. Cool, man. You know, everybody says, oh, yeah, Zumba training for women and stuff like that, who Mm. are 40 year olds, 50 year old. They want to dance with their friends. Ah, it's a rubbish form of training. No, it's not. Mm. This woman's able to spend time with her friends. 
Mm-hmm. She's getting together. She's got a social life. She's no longer eating biscuits and cake, watching rubbish TV on an evening. She's mm-hmm. having fun. She's moving. That's a great mm-hmm. form of training for her. This One, guy over the road who's sense. doing CrossFit likes to do the variability. He's moving. He's doing stuff he enjoys. He's going to get long-term results. It doesn't 100%. matter. I think we spend so much time trying to make everybody think the same way that we do. We end up just stunting our own growth off the back of it, which it's it's not the not the healthiest way. At the end of the day, there's, there's certain forms of kettlebell sport that I don't enjoy. I don't enjoy marathon. I don't enjoy single bell lifting except for snatch. You know, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to go to marathon lifters and go, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, we'll have a little bit of a joke every now and again and go, yeah, 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 yeah. cool. You, you did, you, you did like one arm jerk with a forty for five reps. Here's here's a video of me doing fifteen reps with with two forties. Enjoy, but I <laughs> like that. But I'll yeah. never do it at the yeah. point of attacking yeah. someone in that the detriment. I don't know if that answered your question, but that's just how I. No, it just it's it's exactly it's exactly how I would expect a knowledgeable coach who cares about his community to answer the question exactly, because I, I see it in a similar way. The only, the only thing that I would add is I consider the kettlebell as a strength endurance tool. And while you can get up to very heavy kettlebells, I have a 64 in the gym, which I love swinging and love doing some one-arm cleans. But as soon as, just, just, that's just my understanding, as soon as we move up to very intense and max strength work, I just think the barbell is a better t- tool. Yeah. So in, in that regard, I just say, it, it's a similar answer where I'm thinking, listen, we have different tools. We can use it differently. However, as soon as we talk about maximizing certain aspects of human performance, I think certain tools just work better than mm-hmm. than others. So that's it. So Steve, man, wow. What what a powerful podcast. I really enjoyed this conversation, being technical, nerding it out on, on, on kettlebell stuff. So first of all, thank you so much for joining and for being on a podcast once again. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me, mate. And uh, yeah, keep awesome. up the good work. I've been following some of these stuff that you've been doing for a while, and thank you so much. It's really man. cool, man. You know, it's uh, just keep up the good work. You're spreading the good, the good name about what kettlebells can and can't do, and you're you're being open minded to the very different types of training and mm. keep educating people. And it's good to see. So keep up the good work, man. Oh, I appreciate it, brother. Awesome. If you want to take your kettlebell coaching career to the next level, consider getting certified with Libby Stock. Check the first link in the description.